0: Preachers don't get to stay out of politics. We are either chaplains of empire or prophets of God. Hi, I'm Pastor Elise. And I'm Pastor Mary. Welcome to You're On Mute. Hey mom, what are we talking about today?
1: Today, we're going to talk about how the church responds to trauma, especially with all that's been going on uh, in mm-hmm. our world and in our country these days.
0: Totally. So a uh, big thing that's on our minds is the shooting in Uvalde and kind of the the gun debate that's been reopened here, um, and then as well as a little bit of uh, internal drama happening mm-hmm. um with the situation with bishop roar and pastor nelson out in the sierra pacific senate has been a big talking point on the uh pastor elca facebook pages of late so we're going to kind of touch on all that and um and yeah let's get into it
1: well did you um did you happen to see no probably not on facebook um my friend brenda um posted a quote from a book by Shane Clyborne called Common Prayer, colon, Liturgy for Ordinary Radicals. And the quote was, peacemaking doesn't mean passivity. It's the act of interrupting injustice without mirroring injustice. The act of disarming evil without destroying the evildoer, the act of finding a third way um, that is neither fight nor flight, but the careful arduous pursuit of reconciliation and justice. Last line, it's about a revolution of love that is big enough to set the oppressed and the oppressors free. So, you know, I've been thinking about what's that third way, because I I think that a lot of times when, you know, pastors and congregants are scared to kind of stand up um, and really participate in advocacy, which is like, feels like the weakest ministry in the church. <laughs> oh, by of, far. Yeah, know, because, you know, if you you pray if you offer a prayer petition about gun violence then you sound anti-gun and suddenly you feel like you've alienated the uh, the gun owners uh, in Mm -hmm. your congregation and the ones that are actually carrying guns in worship every Sunday anywho and um, and you don't want to do that you don't want to draw a line in the sand that says I'm on this team Mm
0: -hmm. not on yours Mm-hmm.
1: Then seem pastoral for one thing, and so it's like we opt for silence, um, and probably call it neutrality. Mm. Um, you know, what do you think?
0: No, I think I think that's dead on. I think we have, I think as the church, we have lost sight of what what our political role. Actually, is. I think, Mm -hmm. you know, there was such a big fight over separation of church and state and all of these other things where it's like, well, I don't want my pastor to be political. And that's, Mm -hmm. it should actually be, I don't want my pastor to be different in their politics than I am. Because we see it in the conservative evangelical church. I mean, there's a church here in Chattanooga that I know for a fact the lead pastor was promoting Trump in his sermons. Mm-hmm. I mean, so it's not so much, I don't want politics in my church. A lot of people can make, can, can, can draw out the difference between partisan politics and just the politics of life or like how mm-hmm. Jesus was political, but we lose sight so quickly over the fact that, you know, Jesus was a political radical for his right. time And, you know, if you actually, uh, if you actually think about what Jesus stood for in a lot of ways, yes, it does line up with the more liberal political thinking in our country. But if we're honest, neither side is doing great,
1: right? right? Right. You
0: know, I think, I think the, the left, no. I always mix this up. Which one is Republican, left or right? (laughs) Right. 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 Republic. Like, yeah, RR. Okay, that's right. That helps. Um, it does. You know, the the right, the radical right, you know, they are just so loud and they use, you know, political, they use God to to lift up their politics, whereas the left is, I think, far more diverse you know, in a lot of ways, religiously. And so there's this, there's this caution, uh, you know, when it comes to um, bringing religion into politics, because, you know, you don't want to hurt anyone's feelings. You don't want to like put down anyone else's, you know, religion. But I think, I think it's fair to say your faith fuels your politics. You know, I think, mm-hmm. I think that's what, of that's part of what faith can do. Um, but, we should we should be saying you know from from the liberal side my politics are inspired by the jesus i read about in the gospels the wow. the the jesus that you know was a voice for the poor that challenged empire um you know i could you could go on and on but i think people don't want to see jesus as a brown um homeless uh Rabble rouser.
1: Okay. Well, <laughs> right? you know, I I think I think you're right on, and it's interesting that you know there are um, there are branches of American Christianity that do mix politics and their religion. Mm-hmm. The the extreme, you know, sort of um, you know evangelical churches, like you said, that were sort of pro Trump, mm-hmm. going to be pro gun, all of that kind of stuff but then on the, what we might call the left, um, mm-hmm. African-American churches have never had a problem. <laughs> no, no. You know, yeah, that's they're, a great they point. they were a minority. They, you know, their, their sermons and their prayers and mm-hmm. all of that have always been about, you know, justice and equality
0: and mm-hmm. unity.
1: And, and, you know, I'm, I wonder sometimes how they don't get in uh, trouble with the uh, with the IRS for um, <laughs> you know for advocating certain candidates. I mean, they'll have the people you know they'll have candidates all the time. Oh um, yeah, our so our, mayor it, in, our mayor and our mayor in Chattanooga
0: was backed by for from a lot of our mm-hmm. um, you know and
1: probably pr- went to some of their congregations on a Sunday morning and totally gave a, gave a speech. Right? Have no totally problem yeah. with that. So I think when we narrow it down. The group we're really talking to and talking about are pretty much white mainline Protestant churches. Yes, and um, and you know, and, and probably Catholic congregations as well. And you know, that's why a lot of folks think we're just milk toast. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, yeah. So do we, why do we go to worship for one thing? Why do we even mm-hmm. belong to a congregation to have sort of a happy place to?
0: Mm-hmm. Escape
1: reality for a little bit, yeah um, yeah, it's so no, disturbing. yeah, it really is,
0: and I think you know I think church church should absolutely be a place where people can talk about the hard things um you know, and kind of come together over certain things, but it should it and it should be a challenging space for sure, but you you do see you know kind of these shifts of you know, if a pastor comes in and is too liberal or, you know, their interpretation of the gospel isn't for me, you know, people tend to leave instead of just sitting in, in the discomfort and asking the questions. Right. And so in these mainline Protestant congregations, you're constantly seeing these shifts of like, oh, well, this, this amount of families from here left when, ex-pastor arrived and went to the Missouri Synod Church down the road. And, and so, you know, if people, if, if people were brave enough to kind of stay put, you know, and I think we see that shift in pastors as well. I mean, it's, it burns you out really fast when your entire ministry feels performative, when Mm -hmm. you're constantly having to reread your sermon to make sure you didn't say any buzzwords that would get you fired or you know yeah. it's it's exhausting and pastors leave those situations because mm-hmm. it is easier to minister to a group of people that agree with you and vice versa. You know it's easier to follow a pastor that makes you comfortable. Um right. but you know well, I think that's that's the real is, challenge. Is
1: that, yeah is that local pastors are not like you know, Reverend Barber, he is, um, you know, employed his call. He's a hundred percent profit as pastors. You are not a hundred percent profit. You are also, um, you're also priest and you're, and you're caregiver and, um, you know, Barbara can stand up in a congregation or in an auditorium and slam down, you know, people Mm -hmm. think a certain way and then you can walk away. We can't walk away and Mm -hmm. we might have to go visit them the next day because they had a heart attack.
0: Right. Yeah. So,
1: (laughs) you know, it, I think that's what makes us feel so conflicted. Mm -hmm. is because we're, you know, we hear the voice of the prophets, we hear the, the voice of the protesters who say, you know, we've got to end gun violence now. And and this is how, and then you're Mm -hmm. sitting there and you're like, you know, several kids in my congregation got guns for Christmas, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, And how do we, how do we do all of that? And so then I think that just makes us say, best not to say anything best mm-hmm. not to overturn this apple cart uh destroy the unity of the congregation potentially get myself run out but i do think that there are ways i've been trying to think about you know in that quote that i did talking about there's a third way um how can we how can we like not personally we are we're on a side mm-hmm but we have to minister in some ways as if we don't have a side. Even you know, I don't care if folks in my congregation know that I'm pretty anti-gun. But you know, we could do some stuff like, um, you know, have a forum where we where we talk about the issue and let everybody mm-hmm. let everybody speak. We could because we know that. Our teenagers use guns for hunting, for target practice, that
0: Mm -hmm. it's part
1: of their family life. We might not like it, but can we help by, you know, having a youth program that talks about, you know, gun safety Mm -hmm. and how, you know, I mean, you know, then that says, okay, you recognize that some of us, you know, have no problem. Mm-hmm. um carrying guns around and we have reasons for doing it and so you don't say you shouldn't have that so instead we say let's talk about how we can have that safely mm. because i feel like kind of the you know what's in the middle is and what we can all agree on you know there's there can't be a person out there that thinks that what happened at at ross elementary was okay and yeah. i mean i know we disagree about um, you know, where to point the finger is it mental illness. And we don't like a lot of people don't like pointing to the guns as the issue, but we're all against that kind of violence.
0: Mm-hmm. So if we
1: can focus on that and then talk about how do we make that less so, and we'll come yeah. to different conclusions about it. hmm but if we talk about, I think as a pastor, if you talk about how do we deal with the violence that's escalating mm-hmm. in our country, none of us mm-hmm. like that. We don't want, we don't want it for ourselves. We don't want to be the, the next person that gets caught in a shopping mall, you know, um, mm-hmm. with somebody who's starting to shoot a gun instead of focusing on the guns, which we know is a hot button issue, mm-hmm. but focus on the violence. I don't, and I'm also wondering Elise, least like you know, do you see your generation of church leaders at all, maybe taking a different take on, um, on, on dealing with the church and trauma? I, th-
0: I think we're far more willing and eager to face it and, yeah. and, 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 and be outspoken about it. I think you know, now granted, I went to a a very liberal seminary where I was actually one of the more, hey guys. <laughs> yeah. Like, you know, I, which is like, I still remember you calling me. me
1: and saying, I've never felt so conservative in my life. <laughs>
0: yeah, exactly. And, and, you know, you know, you, you, you touched on this and I think I've, I've mentioned this story before, but I, I remember my first year, my first semester really of seminary and all of my classmates were like, going to these protests and collars and clerical collars. And, you know, I would hear them say, like, I only bought, I only wear this collar when I protest. And, you know, we would be on the train heading downtown, downtown Chicago to, to go join a march. And, and people are asking us, are you guys pastors? And they were like, yeah, we are. And it's like, Mm. no, we're first semester seminarians, you know, it's like a dangerous, (laughs) you know? So, and I remember feeling like, like, oh my God, like, is this, is this what's expected of us now? And, and which, which, you know, on the one if hand you is are like, going cool, to
1: be 100%. Profits, yes. <laughs> right, exactly.
0: And so I remember um, Dr. Richard Perry, who was a professor and, and I think he's retired now, but you know, he's, mm-hmm. he, he, he was a real, um, you know, outspoken pastor in his time and a great professor and everybody Mm -hmm. really respected him. And I I remember it was one of the last classes of the semester. And he kind of, he kind of looked at all of us and he said, one of your biggest challenges will be discerning when to be prophetic and when to be pastoral. And, and I remember looking around the classroom, like, did y'all hear that? <laughs> like it's not full tilt all the time. And, right, and yeah. I had a lot of conversations with people that, that was like, you know, work, we should be more stone hammer than wrecking ball. Mm-hmm. Um, but my generation certainly has a lot of wrecking balls and,
1: mm-hmm. you know, Probably I think more than, than us baby boomers, I would think.
0: Oh, I big time. I mean, you know, I think, I think more and more Baby boomers are getting like pissed off about kind of what's going on and in the church and in the world and how the church is responding to it. Um, but I and I and I do think millennial pastors to an extent can be a little trigger happy, um, Mm -hmm. you know, just kind of like, oh, there's a fight, I'm in, let's go, you know, like I. I saw that a lot, What all the
1: issues are. Don't even know what it's all
0: about. Don't even know who it really involves. And they're just like strapping on their armor, you know, like let's go. Um, but I do think my generation of pastor takes the advice of preach with the Bible in one hand and the newspaper in the other way more seriously, um, and tries to live that out. And I think, you know, I've been told before about my preaching that I could work on being a little more subtle and subversive. You know, mm-hmm. I think, um,
1: less you know, breaking ball,
0: yeah, but also just like less on the nose. You know, I mean, if yes. like if I'm talking about you know Jesus leaving the ninety nine to go for the one. And I'm doing so to talk about how Jesus reaches out to the LGBTQ community. Mm -hmm. I'm going to say the LGBTQ community, whereas I've, you know, been advised whether, you know, poorly or, or positively Uh to, you know, maybe, maybe don't say those letters, you know, and it's just like, but, you know why not? (laughs) You know, or like maybe don't say systematic racism in your preaching and maybe don't call the church an institution in your preaching. And I'm just like, okay, no, like I'll be a little more strategic, I guess, but I'm not going to completely change it. On the
1: other hand, because the church, a lot of us have been really, really silent on said issues um I mean I haven't (laughs) yeah (laughs) um you know I'm more of the you know what do you call it stone hammer is that what you did yeah Yeah. um or chisel you know my (laughs) experience has been that I mean I have no statistics on this it's all anecdotal but yeah you, you know you know telling a story about a gay person um you know, in a sermon will ruffle the feathers of some people, but it seems to bring about as many people out who come to you later in the week or come to you after church and say, yeah, my, my brother was gay. And,
0: mm-hmm. you know,
1: here's what's going on.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And those people are really grateful. Yeah. Were you saying words out loud and telling stories out loud. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah. so I'm always, you know, or you mentioned, you know, domestic violence or something like that. Uh-huh. And people will come to you and say, you know, I'm experiencing this. Thank you for saying something about it.
0: Yeah. Just have or to assume all
1: that's out there.
0: Yeah. I mean, I, I remember I was, I was preaching the Sunday when the text from one of the epistles was about you know basically divorce being a sin and mm-hmm. um you know how it's so terrible and we have many people in our congregation i think everybody does now that are divorced on you know a second or third marriage
1: mm-hmm. um, or their kids
0: are or their kids are or you know whatever and and i i kind of tried to flip it and i said you know god will always encourage us to maintain relationships mm-hmm. but but (laughs) healthy relationships. So if, if your relationships are no longer bringing you joy, if they are unsafe, if they are, you know, not causing any more growth, if they are stunting you in some way, God is okay with you Mm -hmm. getting out of that situation. And I, you know, I remember a woman in, in the congregation you know, kind of thanking me for that because she had left a marriage because of abuse and uh-huh. was carrying some guilt about it. You know, I mean, and it was just like, no, you have to get, a, you have to, you know, maintain yeah. Even yourself. Even though
1: her husband had already broken their covenant.
0: Exactly. Exactly. You know, Cause of course it's, it's, like
1: it's she didn't it's, do it.
0: <laughs> no. And it's primarily women, you know, that kind of carry that guilt, I think more than anything um, in a lot of, in a lot of situations, but. You know, I, it's, it's interesting, you know, cause the storytelling and that's the thing to, to touch back on kind of the difference between millennials and, and all of that. Mm-hmm. Um, I've noticed that millennial preachers tend to use personal stories a lot more than, than, than boomers, um, which is, you know, not necessarily good or bad, but it's just an observation. Mm-hmm. And also there's less um, there's, there's less fear around, well, what if people leave because of your preaching? And while I want people to stick it out and I want to have these conversations and I want people to come into my office during the week and say, you know, pastor Elise, your sermon really challenged me or like, I really, it's not something I want to hear from the pulpit. I mean, Mm -hmm. I shared a very personal story about uncle Ty and his battle with HIV and how, you know, before, too. yeah,
1: that gets people rustled.
0: Oh, I mean, of course, this person didn't come to me, but someone went to someone else and said, I don't want to hear about her gay uncle, you know, like, mm-hmm. and I'm like, did you not? OK, well, you then you weren't listening to the story because the story was about reconciliation and about right. how after being after being, you know, burned by the church, he saw the good in in it eventually and then mm-hmm. took communion before he died you know like that's right that's the point of the story not the fact that he was gay right yeah, and, and what so do you do
1: with sto- yeah and and you know i always look at that stuff too when i'm when i'm preparing a sermon and sometimes i say if i tell this story is that all they're going to remember mm-hmm. from the sermon and yeah um, and you know try to find try to find a way You know, just like I I have said to myself off to the side, self, you can never... Uh, say anything in your sermon about how you're afraid of dogs, because that is all. They are gonna all they're going to
0: remember. And
1: everybody coming out of church is going to want me to go meet their dog because I will totally <laughs> love their dog Or they're going to say, they're going to say, like, "Oh my God,
0: my pastor doesn't like dogs. I can't I know, go to a church so, where my pastor doesn't like dogs." I think less of you now.
1: I mean, exactly. I
0: not to worry about that, you know? No, I mean, and it, it, it's so funny too. I remember when I was a continuing ed student, my second year of seminary and I was preaching, I think it was Advent one, which is kind of an apocalyptic, Jesus is coming back, oh, yeah. like, you know, gird your loins
1: um, <laughs> kind of text.
0: And The moon and will the, turn
1: to blood. Exactly.
0: And the imagery I used was I talked about how you know, when you and dad would leave the house, sometimes you'd give us a chore list and say, All can right. you get this done before we come home? And, you know, nine times out of 10, Colleen and I would just kind of sit around and not do anything. Mm-hmm. And then we would hear the beep of dad locking his car. Yeah. And we would hear that, <laughs> of, the of the car and we we're like, Oh my God, and, you know, get out the vacuum cleaner. Like we're doing it. We're doing it. And, and then I like that. And that was literally like a two minute portion of my sermon. And the rest of the time I thought I, you know, was preaching pretty good stuff. And as everyone's shaking my hands, as they leave, all they could say was, man, I'm so impressed. Your parents got you to do chores when you were eight. Like I can't get my teenager (laughs) to do anything or like, you know, like, can you come convince my kids that they need to vacuum and dust the house? And I'm just like, cool, cool, cool. Glad that's what you're walking away with. So, but yeah, and sometimes, you know, it's like, the story sticks, so eventually the message will seep through. Maybe. <laughs> you know, maybe, but you know, and I'm I'm always going to err on. You know, I don't I don't want to get up there every Sunday and talk about myself, but I think well, like for see, me, we were,
1: you know, the fact that you you brought that up, I think my generation of pastors, um, well, I think it depends on what seminary you went to and what preacher totally. professor you had, right?
0: Oh, yeah, I mean, definitely. In some
1: ways, our preaching professors are the most impactful mm-hmm.
0: professor
1: we have in seminary. Yeah. Because um, I think it's the one thing we're the most scared of. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so whatever that person says, we're like, okay. Okay. Can we write it down? <laughs> but there were a lot of us who were told, you shouldn't talk about yourself. Um, mm-hmm. And actually, maybe people even a little bit older than me, very much, you know, sermons mm-hmm. were to be didactic right yeah you were the expert um you didn't want to look vulnerable and um and I think that did start to break down a little bit by my generation and then by the time we get to your generation it's all about you know what do we used to say um authentic is the new awesome hmm and so, um, you know, the sort of the World War II generation of pastors, it was, you know, make three points and have a poem at the end or something like that. <laughs> right. And, and so <laughs> it was all about, you know, the teaching points, you know, in the gospel today or the teaching points and this. And um, it was almost more like an essay.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, the hamburger bun, the patty, <laughs> your <laughs> toppings, the next yes, hamburger bun. Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No. And I think, you know, I've, I've, I've seen too, like for me, I'm, I don't like to bounce around with the visuals. And so, Mm -hmm. you know, it's like
1: people can only take in so much.
0: Yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll pick like one, one key story to connect with whatever scripture I'm preaching on, or, you know, maybe two, but like one is always shorter than the other. Mm -hmm. Um, And what I've seen from older generations, um, especially my co-pastor Stan, um, and again, not good, not better or worse, just different, he picks multiple visuals, you know, Mm -hmm. and kind of sprinkles them in. Um, I mean, there's times like, you know, he always has a slide, a picture slide for every visual. I mean, there's times when like, you don't even, you haven't even looked at the first slide before he's like flipping to the next. He's like, and then there was this guy and he's like, you know, he's going, and, and it always links back together. Um, but sometimes I feel like we give the congregation whiplash when we, when we actually alternate preaching, because it's like, he's like, boom, 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 boom. Here's all these points. And I'm like, let me tell you a story.
1: (laughs) Yeah. You don't want to exhaust
0: people. Right. Exactly. So yeah,
1: we started talking about preaching, but, Mm -hmm. um, you know, another, another thing that is before us these days is, um, you know, we're the subject of what we're talking about today is how the church responds to trauma or doesn't, mm-hmm. or, <laughs> you know, doesn't.
0: Yeah. or doesn't.
1: Yeah, um, doesn't silence is not golden. OK, when it comes to mm-hmm. this kind of thing. But we no. also are interestingly um, experiencing in our denomination some trauma around um, uh, things that are happening out in the San Francisco area. Mm-hmm. Um, with our with a synod out there, and um here again, I hear pastors saying, "I don't want my church to even know about that, yeah, and it's um it's harder to stay silent on some of these things because there's all the social media now, like yeah. I was saying back in nineteen seventy when the decision to ordain women came about probably the only place that people might even have seen that would have been in their issue of the Lutheran magazine. Mm -hmm. And some people read it and some people don't, and some people get it and some people don't. And if you just didn't say anything, right, nobody would probably talk about it. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I mean, like I said, our synod from my research shows that we were virtually silent on that issue for a decade was like, yeah, we just hoping it wouldn't happen here. Mm-hmm. Um, or hoping that people wouldn't get all upset about it. Um, it was sort of the- Yes and um, yes. Yes and <laughs> yes. Um, I mean, it's one of those things where as a as a
0: human race, we tend to not think about something that's hard unless it happens to us. You know, right. I mean, people people could give two shits about the homeless until mm. they're facing it or a family member faces it, or mm-hmm. people don't care about, you know, what they might call the gay issue until their kid comes out as gay, or mm-hmm. nobody cares about gun violence until it's their kid that mm-hmm. gets shot up at school. You know, I think there's-
1: That's very there, selfish
0: of us. It is. I mean, there's a pandemic of apathy mm-hmm. happening. And, and a lot of it is because we are just so overwhelmed with information. You know, I mean, when Uvalde happened, um, and I think you said Ross Elementary recently, but I think it's Rob Elementary. Is it? In Uvalde, yeah, um, I just didn't want anybody jumping down you for that, but you know, oh
1: gosh.
0: yeah, <laughs> um, our dozen listeners. Uh, sorry, we have got the <laughs> elementary school wrong, but um, but no, I mean, when Uvalde happened, you know, it's it it was like earth shattering in in so many ways, mm-hmm. but it's like how many times has our earth been shattered? by that kind of action. And, you know, it's one of those things that it's going to affect everyone somehow, and it's going to ignite, you know, some folks somehow, but, you know, I mean, I think, you know, with the 24 hour news cycle, the way it is, I want to be as informed as possible, but there, there were days where I just couldn't turn the news on.
1: I know I've I been could, watching a lot of gun smoke reruns. Yeah. Like I, I just, did. I couldn't, I couldn't hear.
0: <laughs> yeah. I mean, I couldn't hear about, you know, how the bullets of the AR-15, you know, blew these children's bodies apart. Like I, I know. you know, it's like, it just, it. it's one of those things where you, you know, you need to hear it Mm-hmm. But it's really, really hard. Yeah. And yeah,
1: but so like an instinct of self-preservation comes in where you're just like, mm-hmm. it's not good for me to keep listening to this. It's not
0: right. Yeah, but exactly. then there's also that guilt of like, but I have the privilege to bury my head in the sand because I live across mm-hmm. the country from where that happened. And no one in my life is getting buried this week, you know? Mm-hmm. And so, you know, there they're there, they're, I think the church should be a place to find that balance of recognition, Mm -hmm. self-preservation, but then also inspiring action uh, of some kind, you know, I think
1: it is not healthy. That's that's the challenge, right? Is, Mm -hmm. um, like I said, I think that's why being a pastoral leader, um, feels so huge because on the Mm -hmm. one hand you've got this prophetic witness like i said and then right after that you've got pastoral care to do um but you know one of the one of the definitions of the old testament prophets or maybe prophets in general is that they afflict the comfortable and comfort the afflicted
0: mm-hmm. And so you're
1: constantly going um going between things of being you know um marching for justice and then um you know, comforting those who are mourning,
0: mm-hmm. um, no
1: matter what their political persuasion is, and no matter whether you agree with it or not.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: um, that do, you're right. That does give you kind of that whiplash. And and also, um, how do you keep how do you keep working on these issues when these crises come up, and we're all traumatized by them? But there's such a narrow window um, between outrage and apathy.
0: Mm-hmm. I mean, it
1: won't be long before we're not talking about Valde anymore. Yeah. I mean, it'll come up when the next school shooting happens mm-hmm. and we'll say just like blah, 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 just like this one. And just like this one, mm-hmm. but you know, human beings can't take it for that long. You know, you can't always be in mourning. Mm-hmm. And I think you can't always be, um, you know, if, if, you know, people like, you know, Reverend Barber, at least for the public side of him that I see,
0: mm-hmm.
1: he's always in raising the fist mode,
0: mm-hmm.
1: right? I mean, at least that's what you see. Mm-hmm. And our tolerance for that is um, not long lasting. We can't take that, you know, if every Sunday sermon or every adult forum is Um, is on gun violence or um, sexual orientation or you know just all of these really huge issues so we have to find Mm -hmm. all kind of different ways Mm -hmm. of doing it in our communities
0: yeah and I think but I think the key is you have to recognize it in some way trauma will stay trauma if it stays in the dark correct and It will just get worse. Like, I mean, I see, you know, at Trinity, when the 2009 decision by the ELCN on on human sexuality came out, Mm -hmm. Trinity lost like 25% of its members. People, people, you know, and that happened all over the place. You know, people didn't want to be a part of a church that allowed, you know, LGBTQ folks to lead and get married in their spaces. And so, you know, some people, because of that, left. And then other people who, still did not agree with it did stay um and will stay until the church until their church calls an lgbtq pastor but what you know and and for a lot of those folks their opinion might not ever change but what i've seen at trinity is that Trauma of those couple years where their you know world got rocked and people left and they were no longer this massive Lutheran church in the area and they weren't landing by tens of thousands of dollars in the black every year anymore. That traumatized them Mm -hmm. because they're in-house trauma. It is an in-house trauma. And from what I can tell, no pastor now, granted, I don't I wasn't there but just from what I've, t- what I've seen, and, it, and I'm sure a lot of pastoral care went into dealing with this issue, but in terms of unpacking the trauma mm-hmm. a couple of years later, like, okay, the wound is not as fresh. Let's revisit it. No revisiting has happened. Mm-hmm. So the animosity towards the ELCA is still there and it leaks yeah. into other things, sure you know, does. like all the way down to, well, the ELCA endowment fund is just crap. So we're going to switch over and put our endowment money into this local person because we Mm -hmm. trust them more. Now, is that really about how the ELCA endowment fund handles accounts? Or is that because you're just still holding a grudge against ELCA because, you know, because of the 2009 decision. And so we don't see that kind of process necessarily anymore. And I think that is a gift that millennial pastors can bring because, we have been brought up in a more, I mean, I always joke that like I survived the heyday of bullying. I think the late eighties and early nineties were like bully central. I mean, it was pretty rough. I mean, the eighties were rough, but like, you know, I think the nineties were kind of the high point for, for school bullies, but um, you know, at least in my young adulthood to now, to my still semi young adulthood mm-hmm. um, I just try to keep telling myself that, Oh, uh,
1: totally.
0: <laughs> yeah, but we have seen a shift in society of it's okay to talk about your feelings. It's okay mm-hmm. to admit that you go to therapy. It's great right. to even go to therapy that it's you're on
1: antidepressants that you're all, on
0: antidepressants. Yeah. I mean, I, at 18 years old, when I first officially heard from like a medical professional, you suffer from depression you should probably go on some medication. I lost my shit. I was like, no, medications for the week. Like I can do this by myself. You know, it's fine. It took until I was in my twenties, like mid twenties to finally say, you know, yeah, I'll give it a try. Like mm-hmm. my body is turning on me. I have eczema everywhere and my stomach mm-hmm. hurts every day and my head hurts every day. And I'm like sitting in the doctor's office, like it's cancer. It has to be cancer. Nothing else can make me feel this bad. <laughs> and know? my doctor's like, I actually think it's, I think it's your stress and anxiety. Um, you know, and so we're, we've made a huge shift in that And the, we see the, we see the work that a lot of younger kids are doing now. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, against bullying, against, you know, a lot of these things, so many kids are are more involved in the big picture stuff now. And I think they
1: really are.
0: I think my generation of pastors willingness to dive into the trauma and, and, and have maybe some uncomfortable conversations that might bring up some conflict will be a gift to the Mm -hmm. church. I think it'll look more damaging than restorative at first. But these are conversations that have to be had if we're going to lead to healthy growth.
1: Mm -hmm. Um, You gotta think long-term.
0: Exactly. And like I was, so I was at our Southeastern Synod Assembly um, this past weekend. Was it just this past weekend? Yeah. Um, (laughs) Feels like a year ago. But one of the breakout sessions was about um, leading your congregation through change. And I was like, yes, I'm coming. This is awesome. And I'm sitting there and I just was like, you know, I could slowly feel the air coming out of my balloon because the whole, the presenter who is brilliant and I, I admire her very much and she wasn't saying anything wrong, but. She just kept saying, you know, when you, when you want to, when you're bringing together these task force, when you're bringing together these people to talk about what's going on in your congregation and to talk about change, you know, have them focus on what works, just have them focus on the positive, the positive, Mm -hmm. the positive, the positive. And I finally raised my hand and I was like, okay, but you know, what happens with positive conflict, you know, because Sometimes you need that to spur change. You need to have tough conversations because if you just focus on what your congregation is doing right Mm -hmm. and what people are praising us for, you're never actually going to look and see what we need to improve. You're just going to make the better, better without making the downfalls good. Mm -hmm. And, and she did kind of say, she's like, no, it's a great point. Like you should absolutely, you know, take on conflict, but you know, she's of your generation and I could tell mm. she was kind of like, oh, I don't, I don't really love this question. <laughs> you know, and I'm sitting here like, how do we yeah, piss people off? Screwing and with, with my
1: paradigm. <laughs> yeah,
0: exactly. So, and you know, and I work with, you know, Stan admitted, like admittedly so, he said it in a sermon recently. He does not like conflict, he avoids it. Um he wants church to be joyous for every single person that walks in the door. And, and I don't disagree with him. I mean, I don't like conflict, but I'm also because not the
1: gospel is joyous. I mean, it is yes. yes,
0: it is. And it, but it also, it also should make you think like, I think there's a big difference between challenge and conflict. Yeah. Um, And, you know, I think I'm a little more willing to ruffle feathers. But then I also see Stan's perspective of when I ruffle feathers, the flared up roosters go into his office, not mine. Right. You know, and that's a big, like, like we could get really deep into the sexism of that. Mm -hmm. We could get deep into the ageism of that. We could get Mm -hmm. deep into the hierarchy of that. But, you know, when I preach a challenging sermon, the folks that didn't like it go to Stan to talk about it, not me. And then it stands responsibility to be like, Hey, um, so calm
1: things down,
0: got some feedback on your message last week. Uh, and, you know, and there are folks that come to me about Stan and, and, you know, will say kind of, I wish he did this, or I wish he did that. And, you know, we're pretty good at informing each other of, Mm -hmm. of those messages, but, you know, it is, it is a tough thing when one pastor is like, let's talk about it. Let's talk about why you're crying. And the other pastor is like, I'm just going to dry your tears and I'm going to give you some ice cream and we're not going to talk about it again.
1: (laughs) Well, let me tell you what, let me tell you and our listeners about, um, I don't know if the resolution that I wrote for our south carolina senate assembly will be approved to go forward or not so i, can't, mm. I, can't, I mean because the the our committee on and council always has to approve resolutions to go to the floor so i, I yeah. don't want to presume um that it will happen but i wrote um i wrote a resolution trying to think about what would help um, And I, you know, called it something like a, a resolution on faith formation, advocacy, and trauma um, mm-hmm. in the church. And and basically, what I'm calling for, you know, the therefore be it resolved, right, is that we set up in our synod a team of, of professionals, mm-hmm. and by that I mean, you know, somebody who is um, assistant principal in a middle Mm -hmm. school, Mm -hmm. uh, somebody who's a physician, somebody who knows a lot about um, uh, Christian education curriculum, whatever. Um, And that that team will sort of do two things, because I think the whole role of advocacy, which we've been talking about, is so weak, as I stated earlier, just weak, Mm -hmm. weak, weak. And we're not trained. It's like a muscle that We haven't exercised enough to know, yeah, yeah, and so it gets really sore if we use it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah, and we have to ice it. (laughs)
0: Yeah, (laughs) ice it and stretch
1: it and and all that good stuff. Yeah, athletic training imagery. (laughs) That's right, I love it. So what I'm calling for is for this team to do two parts. One Mm -hmm. is to provide either you know, curate or create Mm -hmm. resources along the way, not just when Mm -hmm. a crisis happens, but along the way around Mm -hmm. advocacy and faith formation and things like that. Mm -hmm. Um, Because dang it, I've looked at our denominational um, website and it is so chock full of all kinds of resources that are just sitting there yeah. I mean, we have a denominational office in Washington, DC that's all about advocacy. That's mm-hmm. what they do. I mean, they've even yeah. got they've even got a document that's called a little workshop thing that's called Advocacy 101. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I mean that could be a really cool workshop to do, you know, or Sunday yeah. school lesson or something. So there's, you know, but I think a lot of people don't go and look at that kind of stuff. So this team could do that and just, just be putting it out there in, in different ways that might work. Mm -hmm. But then when a crisis does happen, like we've been experiencing lately, this would also be a team that would spring into action and do some things like, you know, really help congregations, like something really awful happened on Tuesday, Sunday's Mm -hmm. coming And, um, our, our people are going to gather in the greatest numbers that they ever gather during the week
0: and
1: that we provide even just a few, like here's a prayer petition that you could, that you could insert um, in the prayers that you're going to do, or here is, um, here's two paragraphs that you could send out on social media. Uh, that talk to parents about how to talk to their little kids about what happened. Yeah. Like that, you know? Mm -hmm. And, um, and so with those two parts kind of ongoing communication and here again, we don't have to create a lot of stuff because a lot of stuff's out there. Yeah. I think that's the
0: fear. A lot of times is people are like, you know, for one thing, you know, if, if, if we face this here, you know, then I have to be the expert or I have to come yes. up with this curriculum or I have to exactly. come up with whatever. Yeah. But a lot of it is already there. And a lot of folks are, you know, synod staff are willing to come in and, uh-huh. and chat with. Like, I think that's a big fear too, is it's like by, as pastors, you know, if, if I talk about this now and I open up this can of worms, I'm stuck with it. Whereas it's uh-huh. like, yeah, or you could hire someone else to come in and open those worms. And then you just kind of, you know, clean, clean up the other bits and pieces or whatever, but, but yeah, Yeah. sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, that's, that's what I put out there and we'll, we'll see where it goes.
0: I love it. I hope it passes. I think that's a great idea.
1: And I probably would end up being chair of the team, you know?
0: (laughs) Oh, which I'm sure you would just hate.
1: Oh, uh, woe is me. Woe is I have me. to head up another project. <laughs> Poor Pastor Mary. Well, now, I just, you know, we just need help with all that stuff. And, and you know, I yeah. mean, sometimes I get stopped in my advocacy. I know mm-hmm. um, of saying things or doing things because I say to myself, I don't really feel like I'm educated enough on this issue you know, I yeah. don't know enough to say yeah. blah, blah, blah. You know, it seems to me that we should be doing X, Y, and Z. Mm-hmm. And so that makes me be silent sometimes. Um, mm-hmm. because I'm thinking I'm not as, sometimes I'm not as worried, you know, if I talk about something in a Sunday school class or, um, or in worship, having somebody be mad as I am, somebody coming up and saying, oh, well, obviously you're not as informed on this issue, you know, here's, Mm -hmm. you know, don't, don't you know about this part going on over here? That's kind of, I guess, just as a intellectual type, um, that's always kind of my fear. Um, No, I get that. I never gets the person who never gets their PhD dissertation done because (laughs) the fear of how do I know that I've researched this enough? And then I'm going to get criticized for not you know, why didn't you include, uh, you know, uh, Dr. Barber's research on this, you know?
0: Yeah. 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 It is really tough. And I think, you know, I I think if you always kind of putting it back into like a, a scriptural faith-based theological lens, Mm -hmm. um, you know, I think in, in some ways kind of then makes you the expert in, in your parishioners Mm -hmm. minds, like, oh, well, gosh, they connected it to the Bible or, oh, they connected right. it to mm-hmm. the theology. I guess there is something to this, you know, it's not just like standing up there and saying, you know, mm-hmm. we need better gun control. And why would we have weapons of mass destruction in the hands of 18 year olds, you know, things mm-hmm. like that. Whereas when you talk about the scripture of, and they turn their spears into plowshares, mm-hmm. you know, because everybody likes to cherry pick the Bible. Right. And, and find what works for them. And so people who are, you know, very, very pro gun or pro second amendment will find somewhere in the Bible where it says, take up your arms, you know, mm-hmm. but I think, I think the, the biggest thing, cause I've had that, that biblical verse running through my head if, you know, they turn their spears into plowshares a lot mm-hmm. lately. And actually Shane Claiborne, who you quoted at the top yeah. of the episode, he has a program where they go around and they turn guns into gardening tools.
1: Oh, I think I saw that.
0: Like, yeah, like he has a blacksmith on his team and he has these <laughs> folks so who crazy. like, they saw the guns in half and they melt them down and turn them into shovels and, and all of that kind of thing. But I think what's key, cause everybody always says, well, well, I just have a rifle for hunting or I just have this or that.
1: Mm-hmm. Well,
0: the Bible verse doesn't say turn your hunting arrows into plowshares or turn your your yeah. fish traps into yeah. plow. They, they say your spears, which is something a that weapon. you really only use in a war as a weapon. Yeah. That's against a really another good point. Person. That is,
1: um, you know, is it a weapon or is it a tool?
0: Right, exactly. And no one needs an AR. Mm-hmm. No one needs an automatic rifle to go hunting. If you're killing a deer,
1: you really don't want to blow it apart. You don't want to blow it apart.
0: <laughs> I mean it's insane. I mean, the fact that these children in Uvalde were so destroyed mm-hmm. by the bullets of this gun that they were identified by their shoes yep, only only i mean they there was a report that came out that a, a couple of them were decapitated.
1: yeah, that's what the by, said
0: by these bullets, and what really concerns me. Is what happens to the kids that saw that? Oh, I know. Like my heart breaks Life-long for the, the child. I mean, yeah. especially that little girl who <sighs> covered herself in her friend's blood mm-hmm. and played dead. The fact that she knew to do that also
1: is also a terribly frightening. Is
0: terribly frightening. I mean, she like you can talk about instinct, you can talk about whatever. But the fact that she knew that if she did that, he'd probably leave her alone. She knew he was there to kill. I mean, and, and it was obvious, right? But she knew he was there just to kill randomly.
1: Right. You know, so it she wasn't, if there he was, with.
0: wasn't there to be reasoned with, wasn't there to be reasonable. And, you know, I just it it blows my mind, you know, the whole. The only thing to stop a bad guy with a gun is a good guy with a gun. I've been seeing that a lot on Facebook from people. Oh yeah. And and I'm just like
1: more guns what? can't be better. More guns
0: are not better. <laughs> there were there were 19 people with guns outside that classroom that didn't do anything mm-hmm. while that one guy with a gun was mowing down children. Right. So there were 19 good guys with guns that did not stop the one bad guy with mm-hmm. the gun. Mm-hmm. And it was because they were scared of the power of his gun Yeah, because their handguns were no match.
1: They knew they wouldn't make it.
0: They knew they wouldn't make it. So children died on the other side of that door because the good guys with guns were too scared of the gun. The bad guy had.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, I, I, I really do like your, you know, you know, description of whether something is a tool or is it a weapon? Mm -hmm. that could be a really cool thing to do for like, you know, teenage youth group talk. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Yeah, totally. uh, um, And your swords into plowshares, you know, really helps a lot with that. And the, um, the passage that I've been thinking about and that I have loved for a long time, and we actually used in the homeless community many moons ago Mm -hmm. is uh, from Isaiah 58 where the prophet envisions the renewed people of God coming back and describes Mm -hmm. them as being, um, uh, repairs of the breach restorers of the streets to live in. Mm -hmm. So cool.
0: I love Isaiah 58. I have, I have Isaiah 58, 10 on my, on my, um, bulletin board at work. It says, uh, you will help the needy and feed the homeless. Yep, yep. And so I, I have that, have that up. And, and I, uh, when I was thinking about starting a ministry around homelessness, I was going to call it Isaiah 58, but, um, we call it like light
1: the way from that passage as well. Love it. Yeah. Go read Isaiah
0: 58 people. <laughs> Go read it. Um, it's a good one, but, but yeah. And, and, you know, I think, you know, we've we we really just dove into this conversation. We didn't we introduce did. it. I mean, nothing. we didn't really
1: even introduce
0: anything. <laughs> we're talking about trauma. We're talking yes. about trauma in our the podcast. church. Welcome if to our mute. podcast. Of you're on mute. Um, we're talking trauma. We're talking how does or doesn't the church recognize trauma both externally and internally? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we've touched on uh, the Uvalde shooting. Um, which is still at the forefront. It should be at the forefront of many right. people's minds, as well as the Buffalo shooting. You know, I think, mm-hmm. you know, that got covered up pretty quickly because Uvalde happened just about a week later. But well, I mean, and what just
1: happened last night is mm-hmm. the um, the uh, testimony stuff at for January sixth hearings. Right.
0: I mean, and so that, many that's things. All they're
1: playing today. Mm-hmm. um last yep. night and today on the 24-hour news cycle yeah and so now whoosh you know we're <laughs> switching Just on to the next thing on to the i mean we're, what we're doing is we're revisiting mm-hmm. that trauma which was taken off the table for a while yep um and that's the thing too i think you know
0: when i at trinity we did not recognize the uvalde shooting in the way i thought we should have. Um you know, how do you mean didn't
1: recognize it? What, what didn't you do?
0: I don't think we gave it the space it needed. I Mm -hmm. think it was mentioned in both Mm -hmm. the sermon and the prayers, Okay, but it was such a earth shattering. And I've said that a couple of times, but it was such a big thing. It was such a deep wound as they all should be. Right. But I think I think the more traumatic, the more people it can sometimes affect. And then therefore you kind of have this opening to, to really bring people's attention to it. And I think we had this opening of, you know, I wanted to put this liturgy I found on lamenting gun violence in place of our confession and forgiveness, right. um, which we didn't do. Uh, and then also as our, it was mem- Memorial day weekend. And so a lot of our service Trinity loves a theme. Um, and, and a lot of focus goes into secular, uh, holidays sometimes, but yeah. we only focused on in a lot of ways, Memorial day, mm-hmm. military death, um, service, you know, America, the beautiful, all these things. And I mean, I was white knuckling it through the whole service because I could not bring myself to say America, the beautiful, knowing that this is a country that is allowing children yeah. to be blown apart at school, like America you know? the
1: bloody mm-hmm. America,
0: the bloody. Exactly. And so it was tough for me. And, and I did have some folks come up to me and say, I really wish we would have done yeah. something for this, you know, um,
1: even and that was just the person who talked to you about it. Yeah, gotta exactly. I imagine that there were plenty of other, I mean, think about the people in congregations like yours that are teachers Yeah, and elementary school students. Mm-hmm. you know I mean when do we say to them you know let you know do you want to talk about let's talk about this how are you yeah. guys doing it must be really hard mm-hmm. um, you know to go into your schools and, and to also see all of this and, and you know be thinking to yourself what would I do how would I handle it mm-hmm. how are your schools doing with doing some training yeah um, you know that's one of the things that we've noticed too is that all these schools that we thought were Helping to train teachers um, not to have guns, but you know what to yeah. do in this type of violence. I mean, a lot of kids do practice after uh, active shooter drills. Unfortunately, yeah. When I taught
0: high school, we we did them more than we did fire drills. Right. We they called them intruder drills. They didn't want to like intruder. say active shooter, mm-hmm. but even bad guy just, drills, Brad. Bad guy drills. Even even just practicing them felt traumatic. I mean, and I taught I taught high school kids, and so they could kind of wrap their mind around it, but they could also wrap their mind around how real it was. And so, you know, literally, I had to keep we were we were because we had the very typical you know classroom doors that have like the rectangle window with the right, wire right. mesh, mm-hmm. and um, we were instructed to always have basically Manila folders that were the length of the window. Mm -hmm. like hanging next to the window so that at any moment we could put the folder over the window so that somebody couldn't see into the classroom. So that was just like part of our classroom setting was the, the ability to cover that window quickly. And then in the active shooter drills, because my classroom had windows, my kids had to go to like the very back corner. So even in this active shooter drills, having 30 something High schoolers pile on top of each other in a corner. Crazy. We had to teach them how to move the desks so that they were barricaded. I had to assign one of them to close the blinds of the window so that if there was a shooter outside, they couldn't see inside. We had to turn the lights off and make sure the door was locked. And administrators went down the hallways and rattled each doorknob door. to <sighs> make sure they were locked. Wow!
1: And then like an intruder would,
0: like an intruder would, and then we also had. A, a green piece of paper and a red piece of paper that we would slide under the door into the hallway. If it was green, it meant all of our kids were in the room. If it was red, it meant one of our kids was in the hallway. Oh, okay. So that was also you know, a signal. What's interesting
1: about that <laughs> is I haven't heard you talk before about what an active shooter drill is like. Mm-hmm. Um, nor have I now heard current teachers talk about it. In my mm-hmm. day, when I was a kid, we had two kind of, basically we had the fire drill and that was about going outside the building. So we mm-hmm. all practice going outside the building. I'm thinking about where the safe spaces are. Yeah. All of our drills. So fire drill, tornado drill, we all went into the hallways to get away Covered from your the windows to get away yeah. from the windows. Right, And then sort of the, um, you know, if Russia, if Russia shoots a nuclear um, bomb at us, so we get had under your bomb, desk, with the bomb <laughs> drill. Yeah. I think we also went into the halls for that too, which was silly yeah. because like, that's not going to protect us from radiation. No, no, no. Neither <laughs> or, is your, neither is totally the little, collapsing our building. So yeah,
0: neither, neither is the little particle board desk.
1: <laughs> I know. Cover but, your head, little Jimmy. Get I under know, the desk. <laughs> but it's kind of interesting that the classroom was the unsafe space for us, mm-hmm. and going outside was to say. And and now it's yeah. like the reverse. Yeah.
0: Barricade yourself in. Barricade
1: yourself in your classroom. Yeah. The hallways are dangerous. Outside yeah. is dangerous.
0: But like you know, what can get through a locked door is an AR-15. <laughs> you know,
1: exactly. It doesn't make any difference. So you're-
0: you're basically just trapping yourself and your kids. Mm-hmm. And they even talked about that in Uvalde, the teacher, the classroom, he primarily, you know, uh-huh. you know, shot into the teacher didn't get to the door fast enough. Like she was closing the door as he pushed his way in, uh-huh. like all the kids that they're interviewing are like, our teacher told us to get down and hide. And she went to close the door, but he pushed his way in
1: Yeah,
0: and and shot her point blank in front of all the kids. You know, so so
1: really even the stuff that we're trying to do for these active shooter drills is almost as silly as us hiding in the hallways like that's going to protect us from an atomic from a nuclear bomb. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I mean, you know, and it's one of those things where, like,
0: even just a really thoughtful prayer, specifically Mm -hmm. about that just to voice that your church cares about what you're hearing you know, on the news. I mean, cares about
1: you as a teacher and cares about you.
0: Yeah. I mean, I, you know, our, our, our moms, our younger mothers who all have kind of elementary middle school age kids are all in a Facebook messaging Uh group. And the day after I messaged them and I said, how are y'all doing? Good for you. You know? And, and one of them was like, I went, she has three kids, two boys who are the age of the Uvalde victims. And then a little girl who's not quite in kindergarten yet. I think she's still in pre-K, but, you know, she was like, I just went into my boy's room and I laid with each of them and mm-hmm. I just cried because there are mothers that weren't able to do that, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. And a lot of, a couple of my moms are teachers or work in schools or, right. you know, they're, you know, this and that. And I mean, it's just, it's for, for, for a church to make the decision not to recognize something that big,
1: you have to, is, you really need to think about what you're doing folks or not. Right. Know. Exactly. Yeah. There's, I mean, there's no good reason for not, not mentioning a terrible tragedy or terrible exactly. war like in, in Ukraine. Um, yeah. I mean, and there are people, political.
0: <laughs> no, and there were people, no, what's happening in Ukraine is genocide, but
1: mm-hmm.
0: you know, what a lot of people said after Buffalo, which again, blip on the screen, like, we're not even talking about the nine people killed because they were black,
1: mm-hmm. right? Yeah, yeah.
0: Um, you know, but uh, after Buffalo, there were a lot of people in ministry posting, if your church prayed prays for Ukraine, they better be praying for Buffalo too. Yeah. You know, and the fact that there was fear in the ELCA that Buffalo wouldn't be recognized because it was a racially motivated shooting just shows how broken. Yeah it is right. I mean, the fact that That's people right. were worried about that is just, is just I ridiculous. We we're,
1: we're called to be repairs of the breach, yeah. restorers of the streets <laughs> to live in, you know, got, we gotta have the backbone. We gotta, we've gotta have each other's back, you know? Um, yeah. And I think a lot of times we go silent and get fearful, especially when we feel kind of like we're standing alone. Yeah. Um, Which is which is why I think church leaders need to kind of get together a little bit more, even if it's on Mm -hmm. Facebook, whatever. Oh yeah. Feel like okay, um, yeah, that's a cool prayer that you did. I'm going to do that too. Or
0: right, or just ask for the resources because you know resources
1: they are not only
0: not only are they out there, but there's some really creative people.
1: Mm -hmm. working
0: in ministry, you know, not just in the ELCA, but across the board. And, you know, we don't all have to recreate the wheel. Like there are plenty of wheels out there and plenty of people who, you know, or even, even some of the statements about, you know, what's been going on in the Sierra Pacific Senate, you know, I have a, I have a colleague who was, I was in seminary with, um, he works at churchwide. So he's been part-time, but is also a pastor. Um, outside Chicago, but he wrote like a pastoral letter about what is going on in the Sierra Pacific Senate. It was, you could tell, you know, he was leaning towards a certain side, but it was very pastoral. It was very, this is what our church as a whole is looking at right now. Um, This is where we're seeing how we need to do better. This is where we're seeing, you know, our successes. And this is kind of where people are hurting at the moment. And, you know, stuff like that, you can, you can borrow, you know, always ask the person's permission, but it's like, Hey, that was really Mm well-written. Do you mind if I use portions of it for
1: my newsletter? Unless you're, you know, if you put something, (laughs) I'm assuming you put something on social media, you're expecting people to use it. You can certainly reference them and you don't want to, you know, publish it and make money off of it or, you know, right. Whatever, you don't want to take credit
0: for it necessarily.
1: <laughs> yeah. I'm, you know, if people use my stuff, I'm flattered by that. I'm yeah. like, yeah, you yeah. know, I'm putting it out there for, cause I use other people's resources. I get inspired. Mm-hmm. Maybe I don't quote it at all, but I get inspired by what they say. And it leads me to think about something else that's useful totally in my context. And I know it's, yeah. it all feels very tiring sometimes like, Oh, you know, but sometimes, mm-hmm. yeah, you have, you might have to change your sermon at 1130 on a Saturday night because of something that happened
0: exactly, or, or
1: switch something up. Well, boo-hoo, you know, I mean, yeah, you know, or, or totally. Re- Bulletin re-
0: logistics should not keep you from the gospel. No, which,
1: <laughs> you know, frankly is why I never, publish the prayers of the people in the bulletin because i edit those suckers all the (laughs) way until just about time in the worship could people tell you coming in you know would you add so and so to the prayer list or this has happened Mm -hmm. or something happens sunday morning oh yeah no shooting sunday morning i mean you've got to be able to do
0: that Mm -hmm. Um, i was uh when i was on internship the um, synagogue in Pitts. the pit, synagogue Pittsburgh, shooting in yeah. Pittsburgh happened and that was like on a Saturday afternoon mm-hmm. and I didn't really hear about it till that Sunday morning I I rewrote my sermon at mm-hmm. 6 a.m to yeah. to to echo it and and I I mean I like wept from the pulpit I was just yeah. like you guys I mean sometimes actually showing that human emotion you know, showing that it's affecting you, showing that it's rattling you yeah, can, can, can be a really powerful thing. I mean, so we, again, at Senate assembly um, it was Sunday morning, we had worshiped already. And those of us who are Chattanooga locals, it was in Chattanooga Mm-hmm. But a pretty large shooting happened the Saturday night. I know, and you're you of uh in, in Chattanooga, blocks from where synod assembly was happening.
1: Wow.
0: Um, and so one of the local pastors let Bishop Kevin know, um, hey, we had a shooting here last night, and Kevin was leading the last plenary, and he just he kind of stood there and he was really quiet for a while, and everyone was kind of like kind of giggling because it was like, did he forget what he was supposed to say again? Did he forget who was the next speaker? You know, kind of thing Mm -hmm. like, Oh, Kevin, you know, what what are you doing? And, um, he just kind of stood up there and he shook his head and he just went, damn. Mm -hmm. And, you know, he was like, there was a shooting here last night. Mm -hmm. You know, he was just like, I was just informed that last night, three people were killed blocks from here due to gun violence. and you could tell he was like trying to put something in his head together, but he eventually just kind of said, we're just going to, we're just going to sit in silence for a minute. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and then he finally, he did say, and I thought this was pretty bold and impressive of him. He says, I want you to all notice that I did not pray and I did not offer any thoughts (laughs) on this. He said, this, this calls for action now, you know, And then he just like moved on, but he, he he was rattled and you could see it. And, Mm
1: -hmm. you know,
0: sometimes, sometimes showing how human you are is actually a really, Mm -hmm. a really powerful thing. It's like, I always think about how the resurrected Jesus asked for some fish for breakfast while all these disciples are sitting around him, like wide-eyed with their mouths hanging (laughs) open, like how are you here? And he's like, Hey, you got any fish? I'm kind of hungry. <laughs> hungry. And it's like, he's not actually hungry. He's just showing his humanity, you know, that he is still, he's actually risen again. Like you're not seeing a ghost you're seeing me. And, uh, and so, but I, I always love the humanity of, of Jesus. Mm-hmm. I love pointing, I love pointing that pointing out, but, out. Yeah. um, but yeah. Um, so I think, you know, being able to To show that you are affected by the world, but also showing how affected you are by the joy of the gospel is powerful as well. The moment, the moment you feel like a robot is the moment you should probably reconsider just your call. (laughs) Yeah. Do something else. Just retire. (laughs) You know, go do something else.
1: Or maybe you just need maybe you just need a sabbatical. Sometimes people have discovered that. They didn't really yes. need to leave their congregation or they didn't really need to retire. They just needed they a just needed break. a
0: vacation. Yeah, exactly. I feel that way. And I've only been doing this for two and a half years. So
1: <laughs> well, but, as a person uh, who never got a sabbatical, I
0: know. I know. Would you have actually taken one? Let's be real. Mm, yeah, I think you would have. lies. not? <laughs> no, you wouldn't have. <laughs> lies.
1: Oh uh, uh, my gosh. <laughs> well, well, I mean, it's good talking to yeah. you about a tough subject. But,
0: I know you too, really, mom.
1: It's really ongoing. And um, it sure I'll, is. Let you know how, how my resolution, well, you'll be there. Um, I will time. be there. Oh, yeah, so we should. Yeah. We should that. So yeah. uh, Elise and I are going to have a display table at the South Carolina uh, Senate assembly in Charleston Mm -hmm. Uh, this coming uh well what is it june 12th through 14th
0: yeah so we're we're um, recording here on a friday right and we will be we will be at senate assembly sunday afternoon to tuesday Mm -hmm.
1: so we're gonna you know partly um you know just letting people know about the podcast Mm -hmm. and then also we're going to interview folks briefly who'd like to Mm -hmm. be Part of our next podcast, and we'll sort of edit all that together. And we have a couple of questions that we're going to ask each of them. Can I say mm-hmm. what the questions are? Yeah, of course. Not like a big surprise or anything. No. <laughs> so um, we're going to ask everybody who wants to to be able to speak in the podcast. Um, number one, what do you wish the church would stop doing? Okay. Mm-hmm. Second question is, what do you wish the church would start doing? And so it'll be interesting to see yes, um, it will. What, what responses we get. So agreed. Yeah. So I'm looking, yeah, forward I'm to excited. Yeah, me too. So I look forward and to I'm see... looking
0: forward to being with you, mom.
1: I know it's going to be fun.
0: Yeah. I was telling Adam, um, my husband, yes. um, I've gotten married since the last time we recorded. That's right. It was um, so fun. But I was telling Adam, I was like, God, the older I get, the more obsessed I am with my parents. I I think you're probably
1: a bit
0: unusual in that way. (laughs) I know. Like when you guys came for our Chattanooga reception, I was just so excited to have y'all hang to hang out and and spend time with. And I was just like, is this normal? Like, (laughs) I I was like, I'm truly obsessed with my parents.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Hey, we think it's cool.
0: I know, right? I mean, y'all yeah. are fun people, like, why not? So, but uh, but yeah, he was just kind of like, seems cool to me. He <laughs> was then. like, Well, as long as you keep thinking that that's right. That's right. we're gonna yeah. be A okay. Yeah, but so that'll uh, be good. So we yeah. look
1: forward to that. That'll be our next podcast. We'll be kind of editing together. Um, mm-hmm. you know, maybe we should call the uh, title that podcast Starting and Stopping. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good one. Laura, we'll write that down. Yeah. Write that down. All right. Well, I will see you. uh, I'll see you in Charleston.
0: See you in Charleston, mom. And uh, take care, everybody. And uh, we hope that our nice little conversation here was helpful for you. Yeah, I hope so. All right. Bye.
1: Bye Bye-bye.